Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today's a good one. We are chatting with Dave Hollis. So Dave Hollis probably needs no introduction, but just in case, he is a best-selling author, a coach, a speaker. He was formerly married to Rachel Hollis, who is a personal development coach, best-selling author of Girl Wash Your Face and Girl Stop Apologizing, et cetera, et cetera. Sidebar, I don't typically introduce people based on their spouses, but I just feel like with this community, most women who are in the personal development space are familiar with the personal development space, are familiar with Rachel Hollis. So I just wanted to be clear who we are chatting with today. So Dave Hollis, we just had the best conversation. And in this episode, we talk about personal growth and divorce and the grief and fear that comes with that and that transformation. We talk about remembering who you are before the world told you who you were supposed to be, hitting rock bottom, dad guilt, what Dave thinks that stepmoms should address if they are with someone who is suffering from dad guilt, maybe being a little too easy on the kids. We talk about dating after divorce and different parenting styles and how you navigate that. We talk about co-parenting and dealing with other people's opinions on how you should navigate co-parenting and divorce in life. And sidebar, Dave's partner, Heidi Powell, was also on the podcast a few months ago. So if you missed that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to what Heidi had to say, listening to these two talk about just life after divorce and their commitment to their kids. It truly is inspiring. Now, I definitely had some aha moments in this episode, especially when we were talking about grief. So if anything resonates with you, or if you really found that powerful as well, I would love to hear from you. So shoot me a message on Instagram. I'm at Jamie Scrimger, or you can share this episode out tagging at Mr. Dave Hollis and at Jamie Scrimger. We love hearing from you. And honestly, guys, it's the conversations after the episodes that I love the most. Lastly, before we get to this conversation, I just want to remind you, you can access the webinar that Darren and I did a few months back sharing our blueprint to improve your step family life. So we sat down on the couch and we just went through what we've done to get to where we are in our marriage and in our step family life. We get real about what we used to fight about and the small stuff that I used to sweat. We talk about how Darren thinks partners should respond when the ex bashes the new stepmom or the kids are disrespectful, or how to communicate with your partner when you have issues. And specifically, we share all the ways that I tried to communicate with Darren about my stepfamily issues that were just not effective. Anyway, you can watch this with your partner, or you can watch it alone. Either way, you can get access at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepfamilyblueprint. Alrighty, let's dive in. 
I am so pumped about my newest partnership with Newcom. As I said, I have been actively trying to minimize stress and calm my mind and carve out time in my day for stillness and meditation, which as we know is easier said than done in this busy, stressful world that we're currently living in. So Newcom is patented neuroscience technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality. It gives you the power and control to slow down and recharge when you need to by guiding you to your natural recovery state. Within minutes, Newcom guides your brain waves to frequencies for deep recovery and restoration. Amen. So here's how it works. You apply the Newcom biosignal processing disc to your inner left wrist. Then you connect headphones to your mobile device and select your Newcom journey in the mobile app. Cover your eyes with the Newcom light blocking eye mask, get comfortable and zen out. It is so freaking good. Newcom is the world's first and only patented technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality without drugs. For more than 20 years, the company has been helping people like elite military operators, to cancer patients, to pilots, to professional athletes, to veterans, to regain control of their lives by helping them manage stress. It used to be a $6,000 class three medical device. Now it's easier to use and much more affordable through a subscription. So for as little as $167 per day, you can take control of stress, poor sleep, and own the day. Newcom has become one of my favorite rituals and is my new favorite form of self-care. I cannot tell you how good this feels. So you can learn more and get all the details at www.newcom.com and use the code JAMIE10OFF for 10% off. That's www.newcom.com and use the code JAMIE10 for 10% off. All right, if you follow along on Instagram, you know I love a good hoodie. I love a good plain shirt. I love a good plain sweater. I love a good neutral. I'm really about keeping it simple when it comes to my wardrobe. And I love to dress Reese the same. That's why I'm so pumped to partner with Austin Oaks. Guys, when I first had Reese, I struggled to find cute clothes for her because I felt like all of the girl clothes had unicorns and butterflies and sunshine and all those things on them, which is totally fine if that's your style. But again, I like to keep it simple. So when I stumbled upon Austin Oaks, I was sold. It's a unisex clothing line for everyone in your family. Austin Oaks items are designed and manufactured here in Canada, made from high quality, ultra soft bamboo cotton that is eco-friendly, sustainably sourced, and so freaking soft. Seriously, plain, solid, high quality pieces for your whole crew. Personally, I am obsessed with their adult bamboo hoodie in ivory and the bamboo crew in gray and I just ordered Reese the same. You should see the cute outfits that my sister Brett got my nephews. Guys, I can't tell you how obsessed I am with all of their pieces. Cool thing is Austin Oaks ships to both Canada and the US. I highly recommend checking them out. You can get all the information, go shop at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Austin Oaks, and then use the code Jamie10 for 10% off your order. You're welcome. Dave Hollis, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Jamie, thank you for having me. Appreciate you being here with me and me being here with you. I am so grateful that you're taking the time to chat today because I've been following you for a long time. You know, you're a very kind, relatable person. So I was just really excited to be able to, you know, dive in today. How nice. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, anytime. So yeah, for those who maybe aren't familiar, can you give us a little bit of a rundown on who you are? 
So I am, first and foremost, dad of four kids. I have three boys, 14, 13, 9, and a little girl named Noah, who is four. I live just outside of Austin, Texas, Dripping Springs. And I have been through lots of transition in the last handful of years. I had a almost 20-year experience on the corporate side of life in entertainment, more traditional conglomerate, big company entertainment. I worked at Fox, did some talent management, had some experience in grassroots marketing, publicity, ultimately ended up at the Walt Disney Company, spent 17 years there. And then I, just as I was coming into my 40s, decided to make a somewhat unconventional change in that I felt like there was likely something greater, something more uh, when it came to purpose and being fulfilled and pursuing something that might better utilize all the gifts that I'd been given. And I decided to leave the company to pursue entrepreneurship and ultimately the work that I am up to now. I left at the time to build a company with my then wife, Rachel, and we spent a couple of years creating resources for people, primarily women, that if they were to use them, might help them uh, have a better life. And then I've gone through another identity shift uh, from corporate to entrepreneurship and then from married to not married in 2020. And the discovery of who I am, if I'm not who I've been, has just been this kind of constant theme in the last handful of years. And so figuring out what next looks like for me in the last 18 months, almost two years worth of time, has been both the hardest and best experience of my life in that I do feel like I have become more comfortable with and have found who I am in part because of some of the experiences that uh, had required me to think more deeply about who I am and uh, question why I believe some of the things that I believed about what I could be or who I ought to be. If I had to describe what I do in a single word, like my grandma always asks, she's 99, turns 100 in just like 10 days, which is crazy. She always asks like, hey, Dave, do you have a career? Should we be worried <laughs> about you? Like, is everything, is everything okay there? I'm like, well, you're holding a book that I wrote. So like, you know, I do, I do do things, but if I had to describe what I do in a single word, I'd say that I'm a reporter. I try to take the experiences of my life or the things that I'm learning in trying new things and making mistakes or sitting in therapy or being surrounded by really, really smart people who know way more than I do, how I could take some of those experiences or the knowledge that I've learned from others and assimilate it in a way that maybe can be heard because of the way my voice or my experience relates to other people in a way that in that empathy bridge maybe affords them a breakthrough. I think I'm here on this planet to be a reporter. I'm excited about the way that books or podcasts or coaching afford me an opportunity to do so. And I'm also figuring it out as I go and excited to like be on this journey of trying to figure it all out. I love that. I've actually never heard of anyone say reporter because you know people ask me, Jamie, what do you do? And I was like, I don't know. It started with a blog. I don't really even know. Like, I don't yeah. I don't have a title, but I've never heard it described that way. And I really like that because it's true, right? Like we're all just kind of learning and figuring things out as we go. And I think the moment that we accept that that's how it is, like we're just here learning things, screwing up, finding the lesson, moving forward, that's when everything starts to make sense. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing though, I think in the midst of my own kind of existential search for answers, that was a serendipitous providential God moment kind of thing. When I was really at this place where I knew I was no longer going to be who I'd been, or I wouldn't be able to cling to an identity that used to define who I was, I struggled a little bit. The first casualty after divorce, 
A gift that I had, though, in this most recent transition of primary identity, husband to Rachel, man, it was a thing that like I would introduce myself first at a cocktail party, telling someone this is who I am. Now that that was no longer going to be who I was, we were in business together since my professional life was now going to be different. I found myself like, well, who am I, I going to be? Who am I? And I happened to, right in the midst of this season, uh, I was sat on a plane next to Dan Rather, which was very much, for me, uh, uh, like a God moment in that Dan Rather was my childhood hero. I, like, I, just, I wanted to grow up to be Dan Rather. I wanted to report the news and be someone that could, in conveying complicated topics into simplified, you know, relatable, digestible ways, help people become smarter, maybe help them make better decisions or think you know, for themselves in a way that they couldn't have if they didn't have that kind of information. And, and I sat next to him and he was generous. I broke all of the protocol that I usually have yeah. on the plane and asked if we could just sit and talk for you know, what ended up being almost two hours worth of his time. And he was generous and amazing. And I left that plane and I was like, man, I just figured out the secret when you find yourself somewhat lost in identity I had to remind myself of who I wanted to be before I'd become who I'd become. And that so much of this journey I'd been on either in corporate America or in helping build a company with Rachel where I thought it was my dream, but to be totally honest, it was me trying to help her fulfill her dream. I'd lost touch a little bit with this 20 year old version of myself that I had this dream of turning my experience as a communication major into reporting in the real world. Sitting on that airplane, I got off and I was like, oh my goodness, Dave, like this is where some of the answers lie. Go back to who you wanted to be before you started climbing a ladder that maybe wasn't even the right ladder to climb or started following the breadcrumbs that were left by society that was saying, if you just do these things, then you'll be happy Maybe your happiness lies in coming back to the places where your passion first lit your heart on fire and uh, asking if there's a way to use your experiences and your skills to stoke that in current day. Yeah, we do get caught up, right? Just thinking, who are we supposed to be? What does happiness look like? And you know, for an example, my husband, I'm often his wife. And I actually heard you talk about that on a podcast episode you did, how you got to the point where you realized it was someone else's dream that you were bringing to life. Can you share a little bit more about what that was like for you? Well, I mean, so I'll take you back to where it started. I'm still working at Disney at the time. I'm crossing from the 30s to 40s at a 40th birthday. I'm asking these bigger questions of why am I here? Why have I been given the gifts that I've been given? I don't feel like I'm necessarily having to use all of them. I don't connect necessarily to purpose or fulfillment in a way that I would have hoped to. And so much of what was amazing about Disney at the time was also this double-edged sword of what made it problematic for answering my questions in the right way. I'd been in this job as head of sales for like seven years. And the first three, it was a water out of fire hydrant drinking kind of experience where it was just like overwhelming. I was out of my depth. I didn't have the experience and that made it exhilarating and fulfilling. And I felt connected to the way that I was enjoying it because of how fast a rate I was growing at. And then the acquisition of Marvel Studios and the acquisition of Lucas Films and the now number of times that I'd sat with the studio heads or the executive team or negotiated deals or had developed relationships with filmmakers or talent 
just kind of took the learning curve and had it somewhat either beaten down just enough or had now my team, because of how strong they were handling so much of what was happening that I was getting straight A grades without having to study for tests. And so here I am at this milestone birthday, having these big existential questions in like, yes, there's so much privilege in even having this high class problem, but like having this, like, what do I do when I know I could otherwise stay inside of this super comfortable place for the rest of time, but also am really interested in connecting to purpose. And I happen to have this another, you know, moment in life where I'm out back with my kids and my middle son at the time, they were nine, seven, and three at the time. He says, what are you most afraid of? And out of my mouth falls not living up to my potential. I wasn't even consciously aware of it. Now that this thing had fallen out of my mouth, I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And now that I could see it, I also recognized that I was in real time living into my greatest fear. It's a long way to answering a question. I still remember what it is. So I am now desperate to find a way to create some leverage so that I might actually have to use some of my potential. And the thing I think that's missing is impact. But I, because of having been so comfortable for so long inside of a structure that kept saying, all that you're looking for in fulfillment and happiness sits on the next rung of this ladder, I couldn't imagine a different ladder. And so in the absence of my own imagination, I tapped into somebody else's. And my wife at the time had been for 10 years, like toiling in this business that was building a community. I was aware of the way that she was connecting to and having impact with others. And I thought, hey, you know what? I bet I can be a, a, a something that would, combining our strengths, allow us to take the thing that has been good, but not yet making you know a ton of money. I bet I could help us make some money. I bet I think we can make a business out of it. I think we can have more impact. I think we can reach more people. And so we jumped into it. And as much as there definitely was impact, and I felt so proud of the way that we were able to put tools into people's hands and were able to hear directly from an audience of how meaningful it was, it was about a year in that same kind of rumbling that had existed when I was still at Disney started presenting once again, where it was like, Dave, you know that, yep, you have a set of skills that are, you know, like specially created to help drive something like this operationally, but also this isn't the thing you wanted to do before you became who you'd become. Is there the possibility that there's something else beyond helping scale this thing that could be your vision instead of it being hers? It was there that I was like, man, I think I want to try my hand in something that of course was terrifying because of, you know, at the time, Rachel had some very, very successful books come out. She had a very successful podcast. The idea of me stepping into a space where she had so much success was terrifying because I didn't like the idea of being compared to her. I worried about all, all sorts of things. And yet it was still the thing that was tugging inside of me to acknowledge, hey, there's something here. And so slowly I started listening and slowly started, you know, like pulling away from what was my support of a business. I still would be supportive, but just in a different kind of way. And, and slowly was stepping into trying to do some things of my own because my experiences, my wiring, my history with personal development, right? I was way more skeptical, much more fixed mindset oriented for a long time. Someone who wasn't wired for the kind of motivation that she necessarily possessed. You know, it felt like there was a space in the market to 
be something that was different from, but that also could storytell and, and share something that might have someone see themselves in my story. And thus we find ourselves, you know, kind of where we are today. And here's the thing, it doesn't like discount the experience at Disney. Like I am in so many ways who I am for all of the experiences that I had in that ladder climb, even if as it turns out, it was the wrong ladder. There's nothing wrong. I take nothing away from the extraordinary experiences of getting to work with Rachel in building out the Hollis company or the work that was done in affording impact to women. I feel a sense though of connectedness to purpose and to honoring an intention of a creator who created specifically in me the tools and the competencies to do the kind of work that I'm doing now. Like that connection actually brings me closer to fulfillment because of it feeling like there's integrity between what I do and who I was created to be. Well, like you said, we're all a work in progress, right? Like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be the person that you are right now if you didn't have the experiences that you had. I would love to know, what was that like working with your spouse? Darren and I talk about that all the time and I'm just like, it's either a really good idea or it's a bad idea. Like, do you feel like that's something that you recommend or do you think that it brought in a whole other layer of complications? It was hard. It was hard. I mean, here's the thing, not to spoil the ending, but you know, we aren't married anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I don't want to say that working together was the ingredient that necessarily was the cause of the end, but it didn't help Mm -hmm. in that there were things that were complicated in the way that we're wired and the way that we had vision that created a little bit of friction And and by the way, I think we probably had as hard a time at having defined lines of when work stopped and when personal life started, that probably was maybe one of the hardest parts of all of it. If you're going to work together, the thing I think you have to have is a very, very frank conversation about your priorities or your core values, like what they are as individuals and how they rank as individuals. So that if you decide to work together, if your work is the thing that is the primary thing that you both value and you decide to now go 100 miles an hour toward it, there's going to be alignment. There isn't going to be frustration if one person is running and the other person doesn't feel like it because both people are going to feel like it if you both have that force rank having that at the top. But if there's differences in how that rank stacks up, you're probably better off not working together. And by the way, it doesn't mean that my way is right or that her way is right or that your way is right or that your partner's way is right because individually, they're both right. But if you're asking the question of should you work together, you should work together if there's alignment and you should make peace with not working together if there is an alignment. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes Darren will say something to me about my business. Like, well, I think you should do this or you should do this, this, and this. And I'm like, I'm not asking. I don't know when you thought you became the expert on my business. I'm I'm not asking. (laughs) So I'd love to talk about grief for a second. You know, me as a stepmom, I had to grieve the life that I thought I would have. This was not my five-year plan. Even when it ends up being for the best or evolve as a person, there's, there's still this element of grieving the life that you thought you'd have. Does that resonate with you at all? Oh, for sure. The primary feeling I had at the beginning of divorce was the grief of what I thought was going to happen. And it wasn't until some time went by that I realized that I had been grieving 
something that wasn't real. So I wasn't grieving what I thought was going to happen. I was grieving what I wish was going to happen. I had in some ways contorted something of an idealized vision of what I wish could have happened and was sad that that wasn't happening. And in like the time that you have with therapy or the time that you have in silence or the time that you have in, for me, running a ton on the roads, like I have been able to really create something of awareness around what was real and what was hoped for. And getting to a place of awareness, if you can be truly and fully aware of the circumstance that you find yourself in, and not like the wished for or the idealized vision, but the, the, act, the truth of kind of where you are, it allows you to then cross over into accepting as opposed to like staying longer inside of the suffering that is the grief of what you wish would have happened since that wasn't real in the first place. It doesn't mean that my grieving is done. And yet there is something in peace and surrender in allowing myself to stay connected to the awareness of what is, not what I wish, and the now acceptance of what is, not what I wish, so that we can make something beautiful out of what ends up being, right? Like we're still going to be partners and co-parents. That's a thing we get to do. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that when these things come up and we're not necessarily all sitting around a table in the same way that we used to? or splitting time on Christmas, right? Like we had our first Christmas after divorce together in the same house, in the same room, opening presents. Here we are, second Christmas, we're gonna split it up. They're gonna have a morning in one spot, an afternoon in another. They're gonna spend time with her before and time with me after. Is it gonna be different? For sure. Is that difference gonna potentially produce some grief because of grieving that routine or that tradition that used to exist? Of course, and yet, we're establishing new traditions. We're creating new things that hopefully offset some of that grief with something that starts to feel like a new normal. That was so powerful. I haven't heard it like that before. And just saying like, you're almost grieving this fantasy of what you wish life would be like when it's just not even in the cards. Yeah. A lot of times people are comparing their current life with the way that they wish things were. And unfortunately, like I wish life played by a fairness construct that like if you are a good person, then you deserve good things. I mean, like, I think you deserve them, but sometimes you don't necessarily um, get to benefit uh, from them or have them necessarily take place. And so finding a way to understand, like, we are where our feet are. This is like our reality is our reality. We need to try and become free from comparing it to what we wish might happen and focus our energy on how we can be grateful for the good that can can still exist in the hard and how we can engineer our actions to building something beautiful next. Mm-hmm. Mourning like it not going our way right now. Unfortunately, like are you deserved to do it? Of course. Does it serve you? I'm going to argue not necessarily. And it doesn't mean that you aren't still going to have some days where you decide, you know what? It's Wednesday. I'm going to stay in bed today. I'm going to feel bad for myself today. And I'm going to wait until tomorrow to get back up. Like if you need that day, take that day. I'm just not sure that like on the long arc of time that it necessarily is a sustainable long-term strategy. Yeah. Just don't pack up and stay there. Like you can stay and be sad or pissed off or angry or whatever your emotions are. Just don't pack up and stay in that place. For sure. When I talk to stepmoms about their partners and their 
often frustrated. They're like, I didn't get his first, or I, you know, I wish that he didn't have an ex or all these things, right? So it's, it's obviously can be hard for stepmoms or just anyone moving on in a relationship when someone has a past. But I always say they're who they are now because of that relationship. I almost think you, you get a better version of this person because of the lessons to get to this place. How do you feel that resonates with you? Does Heidi get a better version of you because of what you've been through? Oh my goodness. Like without a doubt. The thing is like end of 2019, make this bold declaration. 2020 is going to be my best year ever. I have saved it for my 45th year on the planet. And in some ways I invited the universe. I invited God or whatever (laughs) to bring me what was necessary to produce my best. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize when I made the declaration is that I didn't get a say in those conditions But as it turned out, what was necessary to bring my best forward was me going through the hardest thing that I've ever experienced in that ever. I I hope no one ever has to get a divorce, but I'll also acknowledge that my divorce in some ways saved my life in that it brought me to my knees in a way that strengthened my faith. It brought me in a conversation with a therapist that helped me figure out who I am. It brought me closer to my kids because of what now became Us in a bunker of sorts, me walking alongside them as they also were grieving what they were going through and us collectively processing all of this as we were trying to, in the best way we could, make sure that they appreciated that Ray and I still love each other. It's just a different kind of way in a different kind of housing situation, but but that of course, like the, the new normal would be something that would ultimately afford them access to better parents themselves. But you know, Heidi and I met earlier on in this transition and we became friends that in the midst of me running 200 miles a month, in the midst of me doing four therapy sessions a week, in the midst of me, you know, having these conversations on a rock in nature to a God that I was sometimes screaming at because of not understanding why things were happening. I was also doing some of the hardest and best work of my life to understand who I am. And it was only after, you know, we start progressing through some of my healing and learning and evolving that our friendship goes into something more than friendship. But she certainly has been the beneficiary of the work and the change that comes in how hard, I mean, hard times can do one of two things, right? I mean, there's certainly some post-traumatic stress, but I'd argue there's a ton of post-traumatic growth and so much of the benefit that's come out of that post-traumatic growth now is she gets the beneficiary of a better version of me, which is awesome. And I know that I also am the beneficiary of the best version of her in part because she's again had to go through this hard thing of having divorce choose her and the way that you process all the feelings that you have when you're mourning the end of something that you were hoping might not finish and the work that's required to figure out who you are if you're no longer who you've been. But in a beautiful way. I mean, like, I have a very close relationship with Chris and Derek, her ex-husbands. I appreciate that she is who she is, not in spite of, but because of the way that she had and has relationships with them. I am close with her kids. They are amazing. And I appreciate that she is this amazing human that she is in big part because of the influence and impact that they have in and on her. I mean, her primary identity is, is mom. You know, my primary identity is dad. And so good news, like when we think about 
our forced rank of priorities, like we're going to, we're going to talk usually first and foremost about what is this going to do to our kids and how do we do what is in their best interest. And so, so that's been great, but it's also, you know, to your question, like all of her experiences have produced, I'm going to argue the best version that Heidi has ever been in her life. She would say it too. And I will argue that I am the best version that I've ever been in my life. Yeah. That's so, I love that you say that both of you have that priority, right? Our prior, like number one is kids. Cause I do think that's crucial when it comes to these relationships after marriage or when there's kids involved, like you need to have that same priority. And, and you know, Darren and I often will say the kids are always going to be our number one priority, right? The thing that's going to fall off our to-do list is going to be us and like our relationship. Cause we're always focusing on making sure that they're okay. So, you know, finding that balance, but respecting that each other's number one priority is making sure that the kids get through this as supported and loved as possible. That's, you know, that's the goal, right? Yeah. It's been interesting because the unexpected things in this for us are things I wouldn't even have thought of. So like parenting styles, as a, for example, when two people have somewhat differing views on parenting styles, the way that those parenting styles lead when you're in one house versus another, or when the kids are combined is an area of interesting conversation, sometimes friction. And so we have had many a conversation on, okay, well, what does it mean? Right? Like she is a more, and, and by the way, she, it, not to, you know, I'm not comparing Rachel and Heidi, but they both have more of a disciplinarian authority role. And Are you the I fun dad, Dave? I'm the fun dad. Yeah, you're Let's the fun cool. dad. Yeah. And so fun dad, <laughs> fun dad is fine when you've got somebody who has uh, like consistently played that same role with you over the course of time. Yeah. Fun dad, when you are new and you are the only parent in a home when somebody is now coming into it can be challenging. And so we've had to have some conversations about like, how do we find ways not to meet in the middle, but just to appreciate some of the opportunities that might exist. Now, here's the thing. I can confess that at the beginning of divorce, I definitely wanted to lessen the weight that my kids might feel in grief by relaxing some of the things that might have previously existed as rules. And that was dumb. That's called dad guilt. That's called dad guilt. It's called <laughs> just general divorce guilt. It's just, you know, like I didn't like that they were going to have to experience pain. So then it was like, oh, you want a little more tech time or you want a little more bedtime, you know, like freedom or whatever. Let's go. And there was a point, you know, a handful of months in where I was like, oh, okay, sheriff's back. Sorry. That was like a survival mechanism, something that was, you know, maybe a short term bridge. But uh, I actually, we have to have some accountability. There have to be some stinking rules. You guys are hooligans if you are allowed <laughs> to get away with all the things. Let's get back to uh, there being rules in this place. It was, I'm sure, jarring at first. But you know what? Sometimes you do what you got to do to get through the hardest times. And then you wake up and realize, oh, I actually have a responsibility to uh, raise these children right. So uh, get to bed. <laughs> so I have a question for you. So what would you say to it? Because a lot of... Hey, I moved into the fun dad's house. What would you say to a stepmom who is with a partner who who has dad guilt? How can she speak to him or does she just like leave it alone? Well, I think you have to have the conversation and you have to be prepared for defensiveness. I mean, because I don't know that there's a way that you can bring up, hey, I have an observation 
your youngest child who is obviously testing your boundaries is doing so in a way that is uh, really enabling and accommodating her to or him to continue to push those boundaries further and further. Uh, the inmates are running the asylum here. Uh, I have a recommendation, though. If you were to just be consistent for, I don't know, call it four days in a row, you might actually see something turn. And it's like, oh, you're telling me I'm a bad dad? You know, so <laughs> I think that you just have to walk into it with, with an appreciation that there's likely going to be some kind of defensiveness and someone who's going to hear a message where they are, I believe, truly thinking that they're doing their very best, but that also, if you don't bring it up, it is going to be a thing that festers and becomes a non-starter for a future. And so I know for us, like we've had plenty of conversation. Interestingly, the most lengthy conversation we got to have was after we took our kids to Disneyland. So we have eight kids, eight kids. Uh, We went to Disneyland and uh, decided to stay up way past bedtimes. Like we stayed up, we stayed until closing. And for uh, some of the younger children, not getting to bed on time just created uh, interesting behavior. And it, it then required for us to like talk like, okay, how do you, in the face of, you know, someone throwing a fit, respond? Do you coddle to try and get through or do you draw a line? And it, to be honest, like, I still was somewhat in like a, I want to debate this just a little because I know the things that have worked for me and I know that it's maybe a short term plan, but right now, since we're all trying to fall asleep in an Airbnb, it seems like a good idea. Right. But it <laughs> provoked, right. It, 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 and here's the thing. I'm not sure that there was a right or wrong in that instance. Cause after, you know, 14 hours at Disneyland and everyone having cotton candy, it, it was just going to be a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that it brought the conversation up because it allowed us then to dive into this longer conversation about, hey, I do want to be able to have you, as time continues to go by, enforce rules in my house. I would like to be able to, as time goes by, enforce rules in your house. I would like, as time goes by, to have our kids together and have something of a similar set of rules or expectations exist so that there isn't something strange that ends up feeling like, oh, my kids are held to one standard, your kids are held to another, that makes them feel, you know, whatever they end up feeling. And the thing is, it's really hard to argue with that kind of logic because, yeah, I want that same thing. And so you got to find a way to bring it up and you got to find a way to bring it up with an explanation that is in the interest of what you both hope for long term. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can stay connected to the intended outcome, hey, I want you to be here for a long time. I want to be here for a long time. This feels like a big deal. Can we please talk about it? Hopefully the the eye on the prize making this thing work is enough to shut down a little bit of or you know open up a little bit of some of that defensiveness that might exist when you first bring it up. Also, I'm not an expert on this literally <laughs> at all. So hey, I would we're be all just figuring it out. <laughs> I am figuring it out as I go. <laughs> yeah. Dave Hollis on dad guilt. You know, last question for you, Dave, you know, I would love to know what it has been like going through obviously one of the toughest things that you've ever had to go through in public, right? Like this is a very hard transition in life and just to, just to do it, you've done it with such grace, but man, like what's that been like to have just everyone have an opinion 
Because I know, I'm just going to backtrack for a second. I know in our situation, like there's always people who have an opinion or you feel like you should have this type of co-parenting relationship or you should do it this way or you have a lot of people on your Instagram who I'm sure have opinions too. What kind of boundaries have you had to set to navigate this? I wouldn't wish for anyone a lot of scrutiny, a fishbowl kind of uh, thing. I mean, I'm not uh, famous necessarily, but there is some degree of publicness with the way that uh, our divorce happened. And it was not the thing that you'd hope for because it's the, it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. And the last thing, frankly, at the beginning that I wanted from anyone was their opinion on how I needed to do almost anything. Because, I mean, just get out of bed or not crying for most of the day at the beginning was like, that was my, that was my goal, my plan. Just like, yeah, go ahead and get out of bed today, brother. When you're doing it in the public eye, if you open yourself up to the opinions of people that aren't in your life, they aren't living in your house, they aren't raising your kids, they don't understand the dynamic of your co-parenting relationship, you will go crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's few things that I have a high degree of confidence in. The relationship that I have with my kids, the way that we are working on trying to be the best versions of co-parents so that we can have well-adjusted kids, I feel very, very strongly about. And if someone has an opinion about that outside of like the people who are legitimately in my life on an everyday basis... They're welcome to their opinions, but I'm not, I'm probably not going to be interested. And I've had to almost adopt a little bit of, if you want to give me uh, a piece of advice in a DM that feels like it comes from a place of love or that actually has the care or concern of my, my family and it's best at heart, that is fantastic. But if it crosses a line into feeling like it's bullying or shaming or, you know, like fear or anger based, there probably isn't a place for it or frankly you inside of the community because I'm trying to create a community of light. I'm not, you know, and this is again, like, I don't want to say that I live beyond reproach because I am figuring it out as I go and I make so many stinking mistakes. Gosh, I made a mistake a couple of weeks back, not a great live stream that I ended up putting up on the old internet and people just came out of the woods to let me know about what they thought of me based on a very small representative, uh, you know, sample of me just totally exhausted in the midst of, midst of book launch. I appreciate that, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I let people down or I, you know, I'm certainly let myself down, but I also had to like remind myself that these people aren't in my life. And it's, you know, like so easy to be critical and say really mean things or make really big judgments if you aren't actually in someone's life, if you actually don't know that person, if you only get the small sample of their worst moment, yeah, I mean, jump to that conclusion. But there might not be, again, that, that I might not be like the community for you because over the long arc of time, hopefully you're going to see me doing my best, acknowledging this work in progress nature of who I am and learning a lot from what ends up being mistakes that happen somewhat on the regular But if anyone, whether you're public or not, if you find yourself getting advice from people who are spectators in the arena, but not actually in it, you have to remind yourself that like those people, they get to boo or cheer or yell, but they don't get to play the game. You do. And so I have to just remind myself, like I'm playing the game. 
those people can say whatever they want to say. I'm still going to try and do the best I can. I'm going to do it imperfectly and messily along the way. But every single thing that's been hard, every mistake I've ever made, it's always been for good. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting because I'll get some of these comments sometimes too. I, I had someone a little while ago say, you know, I follow everything that you do. I've listened to all of your podcasts and I'm always so aligned, but I'm just so disappointed that you think this. You know, it's not my job to say something that everyone likes all the time. Like, why yeah. are you? Why are actually you so invested in what I'm doing to get to the point where you're feeling disappointment? There really is this almost entitlement to opinion online right now, which we're all putting ourselves out there and we're all sharing our lives. But th there is that element of respect, and I think that you're handling with grace. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's been very, it's been very um, inspiring watching your journey over the last however many years, right? Because there's definitely been some major transitions. And you wrote another book. Give us the deal on the book. So I did write a book. It's called Built Through Courage. And if there's like kind of a, a through line in all of it, it's just this idea that each of us was created with some very specific intention in mind and that it requires courage to take the steps each day to honor that intention. And it takes courage largely because a lot of times the thing that we were created for, our purpose in life, tends to often sit outside of the comfort zone that we currently live inside of. And so the book is structured in a pretty simple arc, really having some deep understanding of where you are, hyper-awareness, radically candid conversations of what's working and more importantly, what's not, an ability to then cast a vision for what the future looks like, probably having to beat back some fear in order to actually create that vision, but uh, knowing what your future looks like, having it play like a movie in your head, and then some practical, detailed steps on what it's going to take to get there. And so it's, it's the book itself is built like a map and you just kind of travel from cove to cove through a, a little bit of a conversation around identity and experiences and uh, fear and, you know, a whole host of things that if you can unpack each of these components, hopefully leave you at the end of the book feeling like you can cultivate the courage to step closer to why you've been put on this planet. It's a little bit of storytelling a little bit of uh, me sharing examples of some of the things that I have learned from other great teachers and a little bit of active learning and that at the end of each chapter, there's a log book where I'm going to ask you to do some active journaling to try and get to some of the answers for your own development. It is called personal development. So rather than having it be prescriptive, hey, do this and it's going to work, it's more if you run through this exercise, maybe you'll find the answer yourself by digging a little bit into what you already know inside, but maybe haven't pulled out yet. Mm -hmm. Well, I love it. The book's great. I have been listening to it and I do think it's important to be doing the prompts at the end of the chapters. And I do want to say one thing. What I really like about what you've done is that when you started on this personal growth journey, you talked about how you were so skeptic about all of the person. Like you weren't someone who was always into this. You literally found yourself married to someone who was like all in. And you know, you've talked about in your books how you've been skeptic. And that's what I think is really important. That's what I think that the internet needs is conversations to 
I think a lot of males whose maybe wives are like diving into this kind of stuff and they're like, oh my gosh, what the heck is happening? And, <laughs> you know, just, just your journey in, in going and just living your life according to what everyone thinks that you should be doing to where you are now is it's, it's really important. So thank you for sharing this with the world. Of course. No, it's so, so nice to say it's been uh, a crazy journey, but it's been the most important journey, certainly of my life. The person I'll be known as at the end of my life in many ways was just born in the last handful of years as I found the courage to leave familiarity, leave a career for a calling, step into uncomfortable spaces, redefine who I was now that I was no longer who I've been. I think I'm just getting started. And it's exciting because I feel like well, I'm connected buckle in a up, way. Right? Buckle, buckle, buckle on up, right? Buckle on up. I am here for it. Where can everyone find you, Dave? I spend a decent amount of time over on Instagram. Mr. Dave Hollis is my uh, handle. And I have a website, mrdavehollis.com, where you can find out all the things. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that everyone's going to love this conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the audience. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. You guys know the drill. If this resonated, share it with someone who you think will love it too. And if you haven't already, I would be forever grateful if you could head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you're craving more stepmom content, want to connect with me and stepmoms from all over the world and get access to exclusive content with all my favorite experts, be sure to check out the exclusive stepmom community, www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Members also get access to my online magazine and can listen in on coaching calls with fellow stepmoms. www.jamiescrimshaw.com forward slash membership. Love you guys. We'll chat with you next week.